So this is a fun sermon, guys. Have you, have you seen the, the, the title yet? Where's the title at? This is a good one. Church Discipline. <laughs> so I wanted to get you all guys all in here and talk to you. You're all in trouble. Everyone's in trouble. Um, so whew, uh, I did not say that. Hopefully that didn't get picked up. Thank you, Myrna. Um, it's, it's great. It's actually kind of true. So I want to say a few things about church discipline beforehand. The first thing is that it's often avoided. It's rarely spoken about. But it's something that is not only important, that the Apostle Paul talks about it throughout this entire chapter. And it is one of those things that I feel like has been done wrong a lot. I feel like some places it's not done at all, ever, ever, like in the, in the entire length of this church's life. Um, the leadership has never taken somebody aside and said, hey, we need to talk about this. And some churches have been too harsh and too quick to do this. Like I said, some hardly ever do it. Uh, but we see why, as we search through this letter, we see why it's important. And we, we will see examples, um, not just here, but throughout this letter. And so there is a difference. I want to throw this out there. There's a difference between struggling with sin and being a practitioner of sin. Think about a practitioner, that a chiropractor, a lawyer, a doctor, one of these things where, they, where their business is called a practice. That's what they do. Most lawyers that I've, I've either hired or, or, or been friends with, they don't work like five hours a day. They work a lot of hours a day. And it is what they're doing all day long. You, you see an ER doctor. There's TV shows about this. 24 hours on, I mean, it's crazy. They don't do other stuff. They don't, um, everybody in this, in this culture, like let's say you have somebody that's working at like a, like a firehouse. They all have a quote side hustle. Okay, firemen have like side businesses. Lawyers don't have side businesses. ER doctors don't have side businesses. They don't have time for it. They work 60, 70 hours a week. And so when you're struggling with sin, that's one thing. When you're, when you're bringing it before the Lord and you're working through issues with the Lord, that's one thing. When you're just out and proud about it, that's another thing. And if you're part of a fellowship where the scriptures are supposed to be the authority, that's a problem. And we're gonna see in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, why and what is going on with this church and why it's such a huge problem. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, just verse 1 alone, Paul says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, meaning non-Christian people. They would have called them pagans back then. Um, worldly people. Stuff's going on in this church that we don't even hear about outside of the church that a man has his father's wife. Quite simply, you got a guy who's sleeping with his father's wife, his stepmother. Gross. Incest is what we call it today. But I want to read a quote from David Lowry about this because it is, it is such an awesome and astute quote. Um, and I want to I talk to you guys a little bit about some of the other people that wrote about it that, aren't even, that weren't Christians, but they wrote how bad this is. He says, The issue concerned a Corinthian Christian who was carrying on an incestuous affair with his stepmother, a relationship prohibited by both the Old Testament law and in Roman law. I mean, Romans weren't like sweeties, okay? The, the, the Caesars, rough men, very rough men. 
um, read up on Nero and, and just tell me what you think about that guy once you read the, the Wikipedia article on him. But this is an interesting footnote that he puts in here. Cicero, who if you look up Cicero, there's a lot of things when you, get the, when you just type in Google and you, you search Cicero. I always, being from Chicago, thought Cicero was the town that Al Capone bring the mob to, which is what it is. And Cicero has had a storied hundred years. Trust me. Go back and read about Cicero. When I was in high school, there was a mayor of this place, which was named after this guy, who was, she was so corrupt, she finally got indicted on stealing $12 million from this little city, which when Al Capone brought his mob organization there, it was like eight times bigger um, 100 years back when he did this. So her, her name was Betty Maltese, and you never forget that name because it's a cute little dog, and she wasn't. Um, but she was nasty. I mean, she was super, super um, uh, corrupt politician, and Cicero just continues to have this. But Cicero the statesman, Cicero the consul, which is the second highest elected position in the Roman Empire at the time, 100 years before Christ, Cicero wrote in his letters about how bad incest was and that it was, it was against the law. That's how bad it is. And so Paul's like, hey, there's stuff going on that Cicero wrote about, and Cicero is not a Christian. I mean, he would, he would have been dead by then. But it's not, even, it's not even named among Gentiles. Gentiles know better than this. You guys, you are puffed up, verse 2, and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. You guys are proud. And we talked about this last uh, chapter, that there's, there is a serious pride with this church. There's a serious arrogance with this church. And they, they want to explain away everything Paul says by saying, well, you're Paul, we like Apollos, or we like whoever else. And when someone gives you these days, there's 8,000 teachers, right? And there's, uh, you could be as far right as you know, the Reformed John Calvinist. You could be as far left in theological, the, the theological timeline as Joseph Arminius. And everywhere in between, you can, find, you can find people who go, hey, I don't really believe in that, or you know, here's why, and here's, what I, here's my biblical argument as, as to why, and they fight, it, they fight this stuff out. But when you hear people talk about um, serious issues, just because they're from a denomination that you don't like, you go, ah, I, don't, I, don't listen to, I don't listen to Baptists. I don't listen to Lutherans. You know, it doesn't mean that Martin Luther had nothing to say. It doesn't mean that John Calvin had nothing to say, that Joseph Arminius had nothing to say. It just means that you may not agree with the, the body of work in their commentary. And that's fine because their commentary isn't Scripture. It's them commenting on Scripture. So it's not Scripture. Um, some, unfortunately, put it kind of right next to Scripture, um, commentaries in general. Commentaries are, are to help. They're not, they're not on par at all. So here's a guy with an ancestral relationship, and the church just kind of is like, hey, it's, you know, whatever. It's weird, but whatever. We just think he's weird. But no one's talking to him about it. No one's saying anything to him about it. And Paul's saying, you guys need to mourn this and honestly hope that he's taken out of this church because, and we'll get to the, the, the leaven and the, the yeast illustration, but he says, For indeed, I as absent in the body but present in spirit have already judged, though I were present. Him who has done this deed, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, 
along with my spirit, with the Lord, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan. So much in that. That's a scary thing. It's a scary thing to talk about. Uh, there, I, you know, it's funny. Over the years, I've heard a lot of pastors. I, I'm friends with a lot of pastors. You hear guys say stuff, and they, ha- they have these pet phrases that they say. But I haven't heard that many people go, and you, I give to Satan. And you, I give to Satan. You just don't hear. It's, it's, it's sort of like you don't go there unless you really have to, you know? It's, it's, a, it's, it's something that you should never want to have to do. But if you do need to do it, then you need to do it as, as a leader of a church or a leader of a, maybe, a, maybe it's a Bible study. And somebody in that Bible study is, is doing something crazy and doing something that they need not do. So God gave Paul authority. It's very important for us to realize this because when you destroy someone's credibility and you, you destroy their ability to speak, then it doesn't matter what they say. You're like, well, yeah, but that guy said this, but that guy's nothing to us. And so if Paul can be crushed by these people or if he can be dismissed by these people, which he was, they were trying to do, then it doesn't matter what he says. But he says, guys, I am going to straighten some stuff out when I get there. He says that more than once in this letter. But you guys need to get rid of this guy. Why? That's, that seems mean, right? That seems anti-Christian, kicking a guy out of the church. No, it's not. And here's why. When you deliver someone over to Satan, effectively, what are you doing? What you are doing is you are saying, okay, so you're saying that you're having this relationship with your stepmother. Yep. Are you sorry about it? Will you stop doing it? Are you going to repent about it? No. Okay, well then, we're all in this building, we're all not about that. And to be honest with you, the people outside of this building aren't really about that. You're really gross. But are you willing to sit down and... and pray a prayer of repentance and, and stop this. No. And so the church in general, leadership included, is not doing anything about this. And so Paul basically says, hey, I've already judged this guy. I'm not here and I've, I'm writing this down and I'm saying by the time this letter gets to you, this should be dealt with. This is horrible. Verse 5, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul, in verse 4, starts with the name of the Lord Jesus and ends with the name of the Lord Jesus. Does that seem like something he does on almost every verse? No, not at all. It is, it is almost with fear and trembling he's saying this. Guys, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered... If the Holy Spirit is your spirit inside that building, inside that group, inside that meeting place, along with mine, Holy Spirit and I are on the same page, with the power of our Lord Jesus, deliver that guy to the enemy. Why? Because when you have sin in the church, when you have blatant sexual immorality, which is any amount, like any sexual relationship outside of what God says. God says a man and a woman, period. That is the relationship where sex was for design, number one, for procreation, number two, but for two to become one. That is what God says. He's never changed it. It hasn't evolved. It hasn't been legislated out. It's the same as when Genesis was given to Moses. So anything outside of that is missing the mark. 
Definition of sin, missing the mark, not holy. So here's a guy doing this, horrible, deliver this guy to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. This is a huge deal. So what happens when a group of people, I don't know how big this church was, let's say for argument's sake it's 100 people. Everybody knows this guy. Everybody knows this is going on. It's whack. It's sick. And all of a sudden the leadership meets with him and he's gone. The very next week he's gone. He comes every single week. But now he's gone. There's like a, there's like a heaviness, right? Somebody got disciplined, right? So I got disciplined like almost every week in junior high, okay? Literally 21, 22 times to the quote, dean's office. Most of it for talking uh, out of turn because in the 90s that was illegal. Um, <laughs> seriously, it would have been maybe one hand slap in seven years these days. It wasn't that bad, but they thought it was. So they sent me to the dean's office. You got detention again. It's like, what's new? Detention me. So when you got an in-school suspension, when you got suspended, it was like, oh my gosh. The kids look and they're like, did you hear what happened? This kid specifically punched the principal. He was a, like a nutty kid. He's probably on like all sorts of drugs. And he, he the, the nicest vice principal ever, not even the dean, not even the one that disciplines you, the nice vice principal. Um, this kid punched him in the, in the, in the, in like, like in the jaw. And he was gone for, his name was Rob. He was, go, he was gone for like two weeks. Cops came and everything. Um, when we didn't see Rob, it was like, like, you know, there's like, it's like heavy. Oh, there was, there's been punishment. People kind of like, they, they straighten up a little bit. They kind of go, man, they're, you, you push, if you push and push authority long enough and they don't do anything, people are, people just do whatever they want. Kind of like outside of, <laughs> in this town. People just do whatever they want. And the, the, the cops, there's not enough of them. And so people just get away with stuff and away with stuff. And everybody now thinks like, hey, just, there's really not a whole lot of justice anymore. And, and, and truly in America, not a lot of accountability. But why is he saying deliver him to Satan? When the flesh goes wild, what happens? People get into trouble. People get sick. There's a million movies about this. Some guy just goes on a, like a crazy, crazy sin spree and ends up, you know, at the end of the movie, the police are all, you know, around the guy and the guy's dead. Sin yields death. Crazy, wild behavior will yield death. Now, how, how long, how fast, who knows? I mean, that's, that's a different deal. John talks about sins that lead to death and sins that don't lead to death. There is consequence to sin. There is different, uh, a different penalty from a small-scale violation in our code, our, our, our law in Arizona, and, and a big one. Very different. He's saying, hopefully, through this, Satan will literally take this guy down, and maybe through this, he's repentant. I think about Samson. Number one guy I think about when I think about this. Samson was clearly given a sweet gift by the Lord. He was given a responsibility by the Lord. And he never took it, in my opinion, very seriously when you read Samson. At the very, very, very end, after all of the womanizing, he is now a shell of a man, he's a joke, and they have gouged out his eyes and they have made him a mockery. They have made him a joke. And as he is sitting there, he prays and goes, God, just one more time. I'll, I'll just use me, please just use me. And, and through that act, more 
judgment to the Philistines happen than in Samson's prior entire life. Samson is in the chapter in Hebrews called the Hall of Faith, which makes me wonder how gracious God really is. He's very gracious, very, very gracious to put Samson's name there. But hopefully this guy, through being turned out into the world, he's, if he's this messed up in the church, when he just gets to go hog wild, he's going to mess, I mean, he's just going to trip and trip and trip. And hopefully he'll be saved. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. A little bit about that. We don't have tons of time to, to get into it, but yeast is not a hundred, like sometimes people go, oh, yeast is all, every single time it's mentioned in the Bible. It's not every single time it's mentioned that it, that it means exact sin. Uh, I think it's Matthew 13 uh, where Jesus talks about it. It's, it's more neutral. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeast in and of itself, God, number one, gave us that, and number two, he gave us Texas rolls. Um, I don't know what the Hebrew is for that, but when they left, in the Exodus, when they left, God goes, get out of there. Don't even throw yeast. You don't have time to let it rise. You got to get out of there. And that was a symbol. It was a cool symbol. Um, And so it's not a bad thing. Oftentimes it's used in a negative light, and oftentimes it is used for sin. In this context, it is used for sin that yeast permeates. When you throw yeast in and you're making rolls, it gets through there quick. It does its job quick. It is very effective. And so sin does that. When sin gets into something, it's very quick. And if everybody is sort of like not really in tune with God's word and not really wanting to listen to the Lord, then if you have a group of people, very, very quickly, somebody starts doing something few people start going, it's not that big of a deal what we're doing. Before long, the whole group is doing it. Peer pressure is just as powerful in the church, or can be, as it is in junior highs and high schools and colleges. Seriously, it is that way. People are herd animals. They want to be, they want to be liked and appreciated and, and, and sort of like kind of all going in the same direction for the most part. That's how we are. That's how sheep are. That's what Jesus called us. So we know that it's true. So he's, he says, hey, purge that old leaven. Get rid of that. In this case, leaven is sin. Get rid of it. Get it out of your guys' group. You are Christ's Passover. You guys, this church, Jesus paid with his blood to keep you guys from this. So get this guy out. As we purge, as we talk to one another, now in a really, really healthy, like all, almost perfect church, you would, you would rarely, if ever, ever have to like bring somebody up and you know, make, I don't know if you'd make an example of them. There are churches that do that. I don't, it'd have to be pretty flagrant for me to bring somebody up. But um, and I, I just, I don't know that that's necessarily um, where Paul is ever going here. But he's saying, hey, just tell this guy, you cannot fellowship with us. I want to read uh, something also from David Lowry on this because it's really, it really ties that uh, Old Testament passage together. He says, as the literal yeast, 
was removed from the house during the festival of unleavened bread, that's in Exodus 12, so that which it illustrated, sin, was to be removed from the house of God, the local church. During its festival of unleavened bread, a continual observance for a Christian who has found in Christ's death on the cross the once and for all sacrifice, the Passover lamb. This was nowhere more true than in the celebration which commemorated that sacrificial act. And in the New Testament, that's the Lord's Supper, which we just did. The quintessential act of fellowship for Christians. That's what it is. That's what this is. It's it's not a 10-minute thing we just do. Probably Paul meant to exclude the unrepentant Christian from this meal in particular. And he at least meant that. Um, Now, once again, sometimes you, you have these like, hardcore small group Bible studies where people are, they're, they're, they're meeting with serious purpose and then this person comes in from outside and they're not on the same page and they're, they've been around the church so they can talk Christianese and all the religious garbage that goes on with the, the Christian talk um, that is so prevalent in a lot of this faux Christianity. Um, meanwhile, what's, what's going on behind the scenes would blow your mind if you saw anything but the person on stage. Um, And so what he's saying is, hey, if you guys have like an evangelism crusade type of a thing, like if you guys go into the town and, and, you know, have some concert, I I don't know that they did stuff like that. We do stuff like that. Um, Like a Greg Laurie thing. Uh, I was just in SoCal last week and um, my son and I were at a conference and we had to drive by Angel Stadium every day and all over the the five. Greg Laurie, July 1 and 2. He's, He's, I think they're there tonight. Uh, last night and tonight. I've been to that. It's amazing. 20-something thousand people. The purpose is for Greg to share the gospel with people. It's a great, it's a great event. I've been there. I've been a prayer counselor on the field. It's, it's, it's an overwhelming deal. Obviously, you're not going to tell the guy you can't come to something like that, but if you're, you're not going to sit here and flaunt your incestualist affair with your stepmother and then take the Lord's Supper. You're not doing that. Because, dude, I love you too much to let God talk to you after you just did that. That's kind of the, the sentiment here. I'm putting words in Paul's mouth, but you can understand with, with what I just read in 1 Corinthians 11, how much this guy in his ignorance doesn't know what's coming his way if he doesn't turn around when he goes and talks to God. So that's, I love how David Lowry puts that. Um, we're just going to rapid fire these last few verses in number uh, uh, verse 9. He goes, I wrote to you, in my epistle, not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world. It's not talking to. It's not talking about the world. It's talking about in your church, in this this tiny community, um, or with the covetous or extortioners or or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Okay, so oftentimes you'd have potluck like we do. Um, After you do a a worship service and you take the Lord's Supper, you you go and break bread like, like you have a meal together. When we have a meal together, we're all sort of agreeing that if we are Bible-believing followers of Christ, that we're all 
on the same page with the scriptures. We we adhere to them. We we now do we are we are we Matthew chapter five perfect followers? No, but we also know that and admit that, and that's the point. Is I will admit it. I I fumble the football spiritually every day. Paul admits it. Read Romans. The whole middle part of Romans is like the greatest. Um, I mean, it, it literally thrashes so many the strange theologies that are out there. Just read the whole book. I mean, Romans is like you don't know much about God. He'll set you straight in that entire book. Like whatever you think, Paul's gonna he's gonna tell you how you should how you should think uh, biblically if you'll just read the entire letter. So. Um, just a, a quick example. Years back, this guy comes to me and says he has a friend that goes to a Bible preaching church in town, and he goes to uh, nightclubs. And I'm I'm saying that really cleanly. Nightclubs where women are there. Um, and uh, he has a bumper sticker on his car that says something really, really, really vile. But he goes to this church that preaches the gospel. And I said, well, did you talk to somebody about it? And, and he said, yeah, I did. And, and so I made a phone call about it. And I said, hey, is this person still involved in this? And, you know, I'm not trying to, like, I, I know I don't go there. I'm just trying to say, hey, you might want to, you know, this could be some leaven that really goes wild if you don't, if this is still going on. Hopefully it's not. Hopefully this is his past. And hopefully this is, he's, he was backsliding and now he's back because it's been reported to me that he's working um, in a ministry at the church. And so... I found out, and, and I, don't have, I don't remember all the details, but I found out that like not much was done about that. And I was like, man, that's, that's a shame because, and I'm not trying to judge this person who was over him or him, but if that's, those people talk to people. And so it's like, oh, you do that and you still work at that church? It's bad. It's sort of like, oh, I guess it's okay. For the weak brother, I guess it's okay. Because I know who pastors that church, and that guy's solid, so I guess it's okay. It's, we are a weak people, guys. We are sheep. So be very careful. Um, just be very careful, like in, in these types of <laughs> environments, where you're, when you're talking to a brand new Christian or somebody who's just like, like, I'm brand new to the Lord. Oh, we have freedom to do anything, you know? Mm, I think that's taking a little out of context. Yes, Paul does say we are not under the law, therefore we are free, but we shouldn't be mastered by anything. That mastery is when sin has a hold of you, and that's what it's going to do if you let this person think that it's okay to do those things. So that's what he's saying. We need to make some distinctions of what the church is because he is talking to the church, only to the church. He's not talking to the world. This letter is not to the world. The world wouldn't embrace this anyway. The world would throw this letter in the trash if they got it because it would ruin their fun, or what they think is fun. So verse 13, I want to close with, with this is like one of these verses where it just seems like a, a great little closer, but there's something really interesting about this. But those who are outside, God judges. So once again, he's talking about, I'm a pastor, I'm, a, I'm an evangelist, guys, I, I helped plan, I was there. God judges the outside. This is for judgment on the inside. You guys need to deal with this. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Some of your Bibles might have a four next to that. The reason is because that is a direct quote from Deuteronomy in four different places in like six different chapters. 
in, in, a, in a short period, Deuteronomy is way more than that. In a short period of time, God talks about this. Put away from yourselves the evil person. Get that person out of the camp. When this person in, in, in the days of Israel, when this person's doing this and doing this and doing this, get them outside of Israel. Get them outside of those governed by God because this will infect the people quickly. So once again, four different times. So I just want to, I don't want to close with, with comments like I often do or points. I, wanna, I want to sort of ask a few questions in, in closing. The first one is, what happens when leadership won't deal with serious issues in the church? Distrust. People get hurt. Disorder. And, and when I say people get hurt, they get really hurt. There are some times when somebody won't deal with something and they, they won't even have a conversation about it. And they're like, hey, this is going on. I told you this is going on. And they get hurt. And guess what happens? A lot of times they are so hurt, they're like, I just got to get out of here because all I'm doing is getting hurt here. And it doesn't look like anybody actually cares. Rather than having a conversation where a person over here and a person over here can be given godly counsel. And maybe, maybe they both weren't seeing things perfectly. And now it's fixed. Hooray, harmony, that's great. But when you won't, that's when you have distrust of the corporate church or the Church of America or whatever, whatever, the denominations. Secondly, when the world and the church look no different, which in this case, they didn't, you don't have a church. Now that word ecclesia does not mean church. It means assembly. It means gathering. It predates what Jesus did when he started the church in Acts chapter 2. When he left in Luke and ascended to heaven and said, hey, receive the Holy Spirit and go. And let the Holy Spirit guide you like I just did for the last three years. Now you guys watch that happen now. Watch what the Holy Spirit will do inside of you guys, especially you gifted apostles as you teach my words. But when the world and the church look no different, you have a country club. That's what you got. You have an organization. You have a nonprofit, America would say. You do not have a church. Now, once again, what's a church? In the Christian setting, very simply, it is a group of believers in Christ. That is it. it is not, there's no magic term. But ecclesia is the word that Paul uses because that was the Greek word that they used. It's a great word. I love that word. Our uh, college ministry in Chicago used to be called Ecclesia. Um, but when the world and the church look no different, please don't call it a church. Anybody who can hear this message, please don't call what you do in church if there's no difference. Thirdly, how important removing immorality is from the church? It's, it's arguably up there with oxygen. If you know about it, if it's just going on and going on and infiltrating and now it's just spreading like, like COVID or like the flu or like whatever or like yeast, it's very important. Like I said, Paul references Deuteronomy, I think it's uh, 17, 19, 22, and 24, all in that one verse, that same verse. That's why the Spirit of God gave him that verse when he was writing it down because it continually talks about examples of people that God said, get them out, deal with that, judge that person before there was the church, before, before, before the Holy Spirit occupied the, the, the spirit of people, of, of Christians. So once again, how important is it to remove it? 
it's not a sin-sniffing discernment ministry. It's not the gospel Gestapo. It's not the Christian police. It's when a brother or a sister is misaligned and you are friends with them and they're talking to you and they're like, hey, yeah, you know, I just started uh, working at this place and you know that place is bad. I think I told you guys this uh, years ago. We were, I was a part of a small church plant years back. I won't even say where because it might be an indictment. Um, but there was a couple of younger guys that came and they said, hey, we prayed and God told us uh, to go work at this strip club in uh, Phoenix and minister to the girls. And I'm listening to this and I'm watching the pastor and I'm like, how will you handle that one? And he goes, uh, okay, l- let's talk about that a little bit. Come here, uh, over, over here. Like, can get him away from everybody real quick. And they said it in like a Bible study type context and I'm like, okay, I don't wanna judge. I was pretty legalistic back then. And this is many, many years back. Um, and I'm like, can I say something to them? No, just shut your mouth and watch. Um, I, was, I was trying to learn some stuff from this guy. But it was so bad. It was so bad that they thought, and he, I mean, he nicely mis, like he, he took their misalignment. And he goes, I think that's a stumbling block um, for you guys, uh, you youngsters working in a strip club. I'm like, you think? I, I wanted to say so much more than you think. But hey, look. They were young. They were very, in, they, they worked out in the world. They were, they, were, they were not new to the church, but new to like the real one. And so he graciously, you know, told them, hey, that's not going to work. You, you, you need to go work at a gas station or something. You don't work there. So that's, that's step one before you go, hey, now you guys have been working at this other place for a while and you're bringing bad stuff in and you're influencing other guys. You're saying, hey, youngsters, come and see us at work. And now all the guys are going to your work. That ain't going to work. Get out. Yes, you didn't have to go there. You might have gone there if, they, if their response was, dude, what do you know? Well, let's take you to the scriptures real quick. Well, we don't really care about that. Well, then you gots to go. And brother, before you leave, I deliver you to Satan. You don't want to have to say it. You know, you don't want to have to say it. He didn't have to say it. But that's when you, when you use that word, that's when it escalates. It's an escalator word for sure. And usually people who are, have a relatively soft heart would go, whoa, you're saying what to me? You're delivering me over? Church discipline is necessary. Church discipline is something that the Bible deals with and calls churches to do. But a lot of times it's, it is used out of context. And a lot of times people do it that shouldn't be doing it. I mean, just, just anybody randomly that goes to the church, I'm going to sit you down, brother, and rebuke you and, and discipline you. Who are you again? Well, I sh- I, I've been here for two weeks. And they take it upon themselves. And they're like, you know, here's my, my detective badge. That's not it. This was, this was a heavy heart Paul had with this. And he gave them the chance to say the right things to this person, and he wouldn't change. And so it had to be, dude, you have to go. And a lot of times people go, man, that's so mean. That's so rough. Not when it's going to take out other little children of God. It's not. It's necessary. So over again, let's pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you uh, for the words of Paul, your servant. God, they are uh, huge. And they are, uh, even today, they are as um, pointed as they were in the first century when they were written. God, help us to have humble hearts. Help us to respond to your spirit um, as you lead us and as you talk to us and as, as you rebuke us. 
God, and, and as you encourage us as well. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.